Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on the journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. My name is Mike Fada. I have Arlene Dickinson from District Ventures uh, organization uh, with me, and uh, and we're going to uh, call some some folks up on the stage. If you have a, a question for Arlene uh, or I, uh, we'll be happy to uh, to answer. And so, raise your hand and come on up. Um, introduce yourself and uh, and ask your question. Hey, Michael, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Um, Arlene, terrific to to hear what you're saying and just to have you out here today. Um, Really just a, a quick question, uh, but maybe a long answer. Um, and this would be probably for, for both Arlene and, and for you too, Mike. Um, Arlene, one of the things you mentioned was when working with founders, sometimes it's challenging um, since they can oftentimes be married to kind of their ideas and less apt to listen to new ideas, um, especially from investors. Um, I guess the question goes out to both of you. Um, Mike, growing Manitoba harvests, uh, everything you've done with hemp hearts, has there been a time that investors have maybe guided you in one direction and you kind of had to make a decision between listening to what they had to say and not being so married to your ideas or your gut feeling, um, or to actually listening to your own ideas and your own gut, um, and th- that question is for the both of you and any experience. And I guess the question, second follow-up question to that is how do you, how have you learned to, to distinguish the difference? Ladies first, Arlene, if you want that one, uh, I'm happy to. Oh, um, yeah, no, you go and I can go after you. That's fine. We'll be very polite and Canadian here. You go All right. ahead. All right. Uh, after you. After you. Uh, yeah, well, I, um, I think, Michael, it, uh, uh, my success was um, – um, taking my time and aligning myself with the right investors, um, both from a, a timeline when we took the investment and and the investors of, of who they were. Um, and I, I give you a, um, a case that when when we took on venture capital uh, after ten years in the business, uh, we were doing about uh, almost ten million dollars in sales. Um, and there's and we raised three million dollars on our on our first raise. Um, at that time, we had just launched Hemp Milk. Um, and we thought that hemp milk was going to be the product that took Manitoba Harvest to a $100 million company. Um, and we soon realized, you know, uh, after, you know, about a year of, of, of just the timing wasn't right for hemp milk. And, uh, and it, was, it was very clear to me that hemp hearts, um, it was the time to really uh, take the focus off of uh, hemp milk, hemp protein, hemp oil, the other products, and put all of that into hemp hearts. Um, and that was my gut feel. And um, uh, even though the our, our investment partners um, invested thinking that non-dairy hemp milk was going to be the product, uh, and I've seen it in other uh, in other investments of friends' companies that the investors would not allow the pivot or change, um, uh, we were successful. And, and, and I, but I owe it to picking the right partners and, and taking that time to uh, to know who I was getting into business with. Yeah, I would. I would so echo that. I mean, I always use the line that all all capital is not created equal. And by that, I mean that you can get $100 from one, you know, one fund and $100 from another fund. And they may and if you don't get it from the right fund, you will end up in a partnership that is absolutely torturous to you as an entrepreneur. And so you need to make sure that you choose for the right reasons and that you um and you understand yourself what those right reasons are. So don't just take any money, but make sure that your partner is the right person and, and listen hard to your instinct on whether or not you're you're making the right choice. I, I think partnerships, this is a marriage and everybody has an intention to what they want to get out of that marriage. And if you don't both agree on what that is and you will end up in a world of pain. So I think that's true on the VC side as well as it is on the entrepreneur side. So listen to your gut on that, but also, you know, make sure you're being reasonable about what it is your expectations are and then looking for a partner that's going to help you fulfill that. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. You're welcome. David, how is it in the uh, coffee world? How are you doing today? Uh, there I am. I'm, uh, I'm surviving one coffee at a time. Um, thanks a lot. Can you hear me guys? Yeah. All right. Awesome. So, um, Arlene, we are a manufacturer of oat milk lattes, 
Um, we've been at it for about five years. The first four, we struggled. We worked. Everything started to finally work. We hit the seven figures. Everything was doing amazing. Then COVID hit. Um, thought we were going to go out of business. We were very lucky. We took a loan. We pivoted. We built a website and went online, and it saved us. And the reason I'm telling you this is to get your opinion because, I mean, like you guys, you and Mike, I have the bug, uh, the entrepreneurial bug where I want to help my friends. And a few of them are in the restaurant business. They've tried to Uber, they've tried catering, and they're trying to survive. Now, I don't know if, you, if this question could have an answer or if you have a prediction of where the restaurant business is going to go post-COVID. If you were in a restaurant business right now, what, what you would do and what kind of advice you think um, restaurateurs want to hear right now. Sorry for such a, not sure the question's answerable, but... Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, first of all, it, it's great that you're giving back. I, I just went to your site quickly while you were um, while you were talking there. And very interesting product, Dave. Very interesting product. Thank uh, you. Well presented. Uh, you know, I love your site. It's nice and clean. And, you know, it's a it's a very interesting space that you're you're entering. So I, I, I guess you're an earlier stage company still. Um, I, I, I know this is going to sound contradictory to saying, you know, give back, but I would be careful about, you know, kind of as you're giving advice, are you taking time away from your business um, in, a, in a negative way too? So just, you know, guard, guard your time. Yeah. Um, but give back at the same time if that's, if that's reasonable uh, as a thought. Mm-hmm. I, I think the restaurant business is going to completely change. Um, having, and I, it, it already has. And, and I mean that simply by virtue of the fact that so many restaurants have gone out of business. So we're seeing, we're seeing a gutting. Uh, and it's just it's so horrible, the gutting of, of an industry that was generally driven by, you know, um, small, you know, entrepreneurs who were building something that they were passionate about, who found themselves caught in, in, in a really uh, difficult predicament because of no making of their own. We've all been caught by COVID, but I think the restaurant industry has been unduly punished as a result of COVID. And so I do think it's going to change because competition is going to change. The numbers of restaurants will change. The people who are willing to take the risk is going to diminish. You know, not everyone's going to want to take the risk of all the CapEx expenses and building a restaurant with the fear of not knowing what's going to happen in the future with potential future um, issues of of other pandemics, et cetera. So I listen, I think um, it's it's tough. Um, You're going to see consolidation happening. In, in the industry, consolidation does not mean more choice or better prices. It generally means the opposite. And I think that's a shame for consumers. I hope the restaurant industry can get through it. They say that the economy is going to do very well next year. Assuming we can get through COVID and that's true, then hopefully, you know, people will come back into the restaurant industry. But it's a tough one to answer. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I think Arlene hit it off well there on both points, Dave. But I'd, I'd leave you with, you know, giving back is, is good, but uh, you need to, you know, if it's a give back at the stage of building your business, know that when you build a successful business, you're going to be able to give back 10 times or a hundred times as much. So uh, focus on two bears. And I did see a, a Manitoba harvest newsletter come out the other day that had a Manitoba harvest and two bear a partnership, social uh, partnership uh, of some sort. So that made me, uh, that made me smile. Oh, very exciting. Yeah, that was a huge win. It's crazy to be uh, in the same, uh, same post with you guys. That's how the ecosystem works. So thanks. Thanks, Dave. No worries. Thank you. Karen, how are you? Is it Karine? Karine? Karine, but you can say Karen. It's okay. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for this uh, conversation. We learn a lot by listening to uh, people like you who are very expert and talented. Um, yeah, I have two questions. Uh, the first one is uh, more g- general for both of you. Maybe uh, uh, Mike uh, and Arlene, you can answer this question uh, one after another. It's about like, what is your biggest learning in terms of marketing your, uh, your company? And then what's, uh, basically, what's the biggest failure that you have learned that maybe we can all learn from your failure? That's the first question. It's, more, it's very general. Well, you know, being in the food business, um, I could say it's all about getting your story into uh, into your customer's mind and your product into their mouth. Um, so from a focus, uh, that's been my focus for the last 20 years. And uh, 
Uh, I don't think anything anything beats that. Uh, biggest failure, biggest failure to me is it's a death by a thousand cuts. It's it's not being super focused on the one or the several things that are critical to get right in the business. Uh, Any time that I was operating in that space, um, I. I uh, I feel like those were times of, of many failures, but thankfully over 20 years, uh, maybe it's good karma. Uh, we never had a, a, a major failure in the business. Yeah. Um, I would, I would say, I guess I'd say a couple things on, on relative to the question on, you know, what's the, let's, I'll start with the, I would say the hardest lesson that I learned was um, relative to not really believing enough in the vision that I was building to put my foot down on the gas hard enough. And I know that's going to sound really ironic to, you know, people will say, well, you look what you've done and, and, and you've built something, but yes, but I tempered myself and I, I marginalized my ambition. Um, very, um, I think it's partly because of my age, partly because I was a female, partly because of a whole bunch of things that I didn't allow myself to go as fast and as hard as I possibly could. And I was satisfied with doing well, but I, I always wanted to do more. And it wasn't until I got a little bit older in my career that, and longer in, in my abilities to believe in myself that I really let myself dream big enough and then do the execution on that. So mistake number one was really just not giving myself the room I needed to grow and the faith that I had that I needed myself to do that. Um, in terms of marketing, listen, I, 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 marketing is not sales. And in CPG in particular, it, those, these two things get confused a lot where people will say it's all about sales, sales drives everything. Yes, of course, velocity matters. Of course, sales matter. But building a brand and building something that stays in consumers' hearts and minds so that when they go to buy, they care enough to buy, especially as consumers are getting more savvy and thinking about what they want and why they want it, um, is critical. So don't relegate marketing down. Marketing belongs with the uh, CEO and with the C-suite, and it is absolutely not a mid-market, a mid-level function. It is a senior executive function. So I can't say that enough. And make sure that, just to that, I would say, make sure that's what's in you as an entrepreneur's head and heart is well understood by everybody in your organization and by your consumer because most entrepreneurs know what they want to build, but they can't articulate it in a way that people will follow. So doing strategy work is critical. Yeah, thank you so much. That's very helpful. Uh, Aline, my last question is for you. Um, I, um, you know, I am an entrepreneur where I started, I immigrated with uh, like $1,000 in Canada. So I, I had like a very, like a very low in my life um, quite, uh, quite often. So I come from far away and I, I was resonating with you when you explained your story when uh, also from you in your, in your life. Also, sometimes it was also a difficult so i created an association uh we are we are uh, women in startups and basically to inspire women who i think i think in my opinion there's not enough uh, women uh, in the in the business in the c-suite and especially entrepreneurs so i want to help even though i'm still not at the, at the end of my career i'm building my career uh, but um i would like to know if um you will be um interested to connect with me and then uh, uh, speak and share your, your story also uh, for female founder uh, who, who can be inspired by you. Yeah, sure, Corinne. Um, just connect with me on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and, and we'll follow up that way. I saw, I saw I went to your site and I see you're in education and um, helping with workflow and, and marking of papers and modernizing team-based learning. My, my dad um, started the first self-paced learning software in the world. And he, as I said, he was an educator. So what you're doing and how you're helping uh, teachers in education is really important. So happy to connect with you anytime. Thank you so much. And then, by the way, like your dad, I'm um, I'm applying for PhD in education at the same time. So I'm hoping to get that there some somehow. <laughs> Go for it. Thank you so much, Arlene. Bye bye. Thanks, Dan. How are you? Welcome. Do well, Mike. How are you this evening? Doing great. Thank you. Thanks again for doing this. And, and Arlene, you know, it's been such a pleasure to listen to the story. And uh, and honestly, just sort of these intimate environments are something that are honestly priceless. So thank you again both for doing this. Um, you know, I think my question really sort of lies in, you mentioned impacts earlier. I was sort of curious for, for both of yourselves, you know, what sort of impact-driven companies truly inspire you? 
Well, you know, it, that's it's a great question because it's ten. It's it's been evolving for me. I you know I, I this whole notion that businesses have at their heart and core a social cause generally today, um, I really find very compelling. I mean, I remember the days in business where you would create a business, you you built, you know, your revenue, and then at some point you tacked on a social cause of some sort and you said, okay, this is what we care about. That is so opposite to what's happening in today's business where you see people from the very beginning thinking about how they can make sure that, yes, they're making money, but that they're giving back right from the start and they're figuring out a way to do that without impacting their profits so they can still grow um, but still finding a way to con- contribute to the communities around them. And and so that really appeals to me. I, I feel like this is... I talk a lot about capitalism with a heart. I, I believe that capitalism is not a bad thing, but I think capitalism for the sake of capitalism is. And so when we can find a way to be capitalists and still give back through the efforts that we have by creating jobs, by creating economic impact, by creating environmental uh, impact, by doing things that are going to help you know, people planet um, uh, to to excel, then that is a win for everybody. And so I really... I really believe that this is what gets me out of bed every day is that there is a different and better way to do this um, and it's not a right or wrong about capitalism it's about a notion on how to change the dial on capitalism so that it can give back yeah and i'll just add on there dan i mean um i've been into the triple bottom line way of business for 20 years and and um and i guess maybe before it was cool we just thought it was the right thing to you know, make an impact both environmentally and 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 do the right thing for people. So pe- people, planet, and profit. Uh, um, and I, I think twenty years ago that was a, a nice to have, as Arlene said. Uh, I think in twenty twenty one and beyond, that's that's a must have for for businesses to to really break out um, and um, you know build that build your social values, build your environmental values into the business. Um, and, and you're and you're going to resonate with more consumers. I think that's I think that's where the consumers going. Uh, thanks again, Mike, Arlene. Honestly, it's such a pleasure. You know, Mike, keep doing this. This is amazing. And Arlene, doing awesome uh, work in the CPG space. So thank you. Have a great evening, both yourselves. Thanks, Dan. You too, Dan. Craig, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Arlene, congratulations on the bullet acquisition. That was really uh, something that I didn't expect, but I really love the team there and I'm excited to see what you do with it. Um, that isn't my question, though. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm also a DVK uh, alumni. You, uh, you saved me and many others that were left in a lurch at Food Starter as we were transitioning to, um, to a co-packer. So thank you also for uh, helping out at DVK. Um, during the pandemic, like we really, we had to re-examine who we were, what we stood for. You know, our product was average. It was doing average and, you know, sell through was average. We just weren't going to be able to really kill it and build the brand that we wanted. And so we spent six months reformulating, tearing the brand apart. And um, we're really excited because now everybody that said no before, has said yes. So we're launching in Loblaws, Sobeys, Natura Market, hundreds of natural food retailers, like with a product that we're really proud of and confident in. But um, as you know, and it's probably a question that's burning on everybody's mind, is like we have to drive trial to drive off-the-shelf velocity. Like we're so confident and when people try it, they will buy more. So the biggest question, the biggest challenge, and I'd love to hear from both of you on this, is how do we drive that trial when we're not able to be in-store sampling? Um, and I know we've got Marie from Sampler on here, but, um, you know, like, I want to be in those stores handing somebody a sample, and I can't. So I'd love to hear from both of you on what you think about driving trial during the pandemic. Craig, I think the um, the sample box pl- programs uh, like Sampler, they, they, you know, there's there's a number of them um, are actually good outlets. I, I think um, 
I think uh, organizations like the Canadian Health Food Association and 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 the virtual offerings. It's a way to distribute samples right to uh, at least to the trade to to retailers, but. Uh, um, with uh, the Healthier by Nature Consumer Expo that happened a couple weeks back that will likely be repeated. Uh, you have a targeted audience there that you can get samples to. Um, that's that's probably the way that it's going to be uh, right now, unless it is full-size samples and the market's opened up a little bit more and you're doing a closed sample. But I think the day of the active demo where you're sampling open food uh, is gone, or it's gone at least for you know the next 12 or, or 18 months uh, um, and, and, and then there's other ways of, of, you know, sharing, sharing what your food tastes like without, uh, without actually, uh, uh, without actually the product through, through video and stuff. But, uh, um, I'm, I'm a big believer and a big fan and we built our business off of the, uh, the sample box programs and, uh, and sampling that way as well. What do you mean by like the video? Because I mean, going into the boxes is great, but when you're in a store and somebody you know, tries a sample there and I know we can't do it right now, but like, that's what we're looking for. The solution for is like, they're in the store, they've got their wallet, they've got their shopping basket. Yeah. So the be- the best thing in store, Craig, that I could give you is, is you, if you can't be there to sample, you, you want to be a staff pick in the store, give, give the staff each a full size sample of the product, do a training with the staff, um, get the staff in the store really excited and understanding what your product is about, how it tastes what they like about it when they eat it. And then they're going to share that um, with people when they're in the store or have a, you know, I say that the best thing that, that you could have in the store when you're not there is a, is a shelf tag that says staff pick on it. Um, but get to the staff and make sure that they all are very, very familiar with what your, uh, what your product like. That's, that's the, uh, that's the best in store you could do when, when you can't, uh, when you can't demo it, unless you're giving out full size samples. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. I don't have much to add there, Craig. I think uh, you got some great advice from Mike and, I would be uh, I would be listening hard to what he's saying because I I think he's uh, hit all the points on on the head there. Okay, thank you to you both. Good luck. You're welcome. Thanks, yeah. Sasha. How are you? Welcome. Hey, Mike. Um, hey, Arlene. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, quick question for you. So we we officially launched our vegan crisp business here in Toronto last Sunday, um, and reception reception has been great. We've um, sold over three hundred bags. Um, you know the small victories. <laughs> Um, so the thing is, you know, it got into a lot of, um, hands of, um, people in the industry and, um, you know, have, have had already a lot of repeat customers come back. Um, so, you know, there's some folks that I've spoken to in the industry who have mentioned how you're going to get this to scale. Um, and I think the trouble, uh, you know, kind of doing my own back background research is, um, the way to extrude or the way to manufacture manufacture this at scale has been probably the biggest barrier. There's no one that I've found in Ontario so far that can co-pack uh, based off the design and the way it's made. Um, so, you know, just as someone who's kind of in my shoes, um, at what point do you suggest to an entrepreneur like whether to um, take the leap or I should say, like, what dollar sales value, or you know, at what stage does an entre- entrepreneur in my um, in in my stage take the leap to you know potentially look at you know buying a manufacturing facility, like uh, a facility plant with custom made equipment in order to um, get seen by bigger folk. So I'm kind of in that um, obviously very early stages, but um, looking possibly at doing that down the road um at a, yeah at a later date yeah sasha wow i mean you you're nailing you know if i if i had uh, um 10 less more years ahead of me that i could think about trying to do this too i would because manufacturing co-packing in canada for um small run um potentially you know challenging uh type of production runs in terms of the composition of the product you're making is very, very difficult. This country is not, you know, the, the number of co-packers we have available, there, there are many of them. And um, I'm, I'm happy to, if you reach out to us at District Ventures Accelerator, we will give you the list of all the co-packers we know because some of them you, you can't find very easily. Um, they're not marketing themselves or they just are, you know, so busy that they haven't thought to or they just haven't, you know, built their business up enough yet to be present. But this is a very difficult thing in Canada in particular, finding a co-packer that will take you on who has the right equipment. And then the other side of that equation is why would, you know, you invest, 
the capital to buy the equipment and build a facility, I would say, you know, that's probably not going to be um, an effective use of your capital at this juncture. Um, and, and it, it, my first thought for you is go and find a co-packer, beat the bushes, do whatever you can to find somebody who'll take you on um, and see if you can get started that way before you start investing in equipment and, and the cost of, of carrying that equipment and running a facility. So that's my advice to you. I really, honestly, please reach out. We have a list of probably 40 or so co-packers in Canada that work with very early stage companies who are used to doing every, you know, unique runs and, and um, natural ingredients and non-allergens, et cetera, et cetera. So please reach out and we'll, we're happy to provide you with that list. Great. Will do. Thank you so much. That's a boom moment right there, Arlene. Awesome. Thanks, Sasha. Susie, welcome. Nice to see you. How are you? Hi, Mike and Arlene. What a treat on a Tuesday night. So Arlene, thanks again for all of your uh, insight and support. District Ventures Accelerator was uh, tremendously helpful as I was a new entrepreneur. And, uh, and you took me into your accelerator when I had zero dollars of revenue. So uh, eternally grateful. And uh, Mike, thanks for being such a supporter and an investor. I have kind of a higher a higher level question in terms of uh, of strategy during COVID. So as we all know, nutritional bars have been really hard hit during COVID. So the the, the big retailers like Costco were quick to um, to remove bars and kind of bring in all these other toilet paper and other treats. And uh, and then the consumer really hasn't been shopping nutritional bars for all of the reasons you know on the go and buying the bars she knows. And so a, a new kind of um, nu nutritional, in our case, good fats bars in the U.S., where we were just in the midst of our launch in the U.S., has been really hard hit in COVID. The category's down and we're, we're a, a new brand. Um, how would you kind of think about um, and uh, thinking about the strategy of chasing the new shiny, shiny objects of perhaps category extensions versus staying uh, true and kind of sticking it out in terms of staying true to our core of nutritional bars and the nutritional bar sets. As you know, we have you know, blue chip listings in the top retailers in the U.S. and bars, um, but it is you know being challenged with our, our revenue being, the category revenue and our revenue being down. How would you kind of balance that, you know, temptation to kind of step into new categories, uh, given the hit of COVID? Susie, that's a, I, I know enough about your business to know that's a tough question. Um, but I love, I, I, I do, I, I really, what I, one of the things I really appreciate about you, Susie, is that you are never afraid to ask the question. You don't feel that you're, you know, you've reached a point where you don't need to ask opinions. And I and I really appreciate that um, in you as a founder. And you've always been that way right from the very beginning. You've always been curious and inquisitive. And I can't stress enough to the people in the audience and in the room here um, how important that is, that you remain curious, you remain um, believing that you can always learn something. So kudos to you, Susie, on that. Um, I, I do think that, you know, you you are in a tough situation with COVID, and, and as the world kind of opens up, you have to believe that people are going to be more mobile and they're going to want bars and on the go, et cetera, again. But I do think this might be an opportunity for you to think about potentially extending into other areas where you can de-risk, you know, the dependence that you've got on just the bars and, and, and the shakes and the other products that you've got. You've got a good mix already, but potentially there could be other things that you could get into that would um, surround the core business and help de-risk some of the, um, the challenges you've got in the market because of, of COVID and the pandemic and how long that might take to rebuild. So I, I think you're very innovative. You, you are very creative in terms of how you think about the marketplace. You have got some great product mix now. I, I wouldn't be hesitant to add to that and think about what else you could do to, to try and um, just, just protect yourself. But that's, you know, that's easy enough to say. I know that takes time and money and, and, and innovation is an, ex an inexpensive thought to launch, but I think you're in a good place to be able to do that and do it well. 
That's great. Thanks. Yeah, I'll just add there, Susie. I think, um, yeah, because Arlene mentioned it, but, you know, and you know, new products and new categories aren't cheap. Um, and, uh, um, and so I'd say if you, if you went into that, um, you'd have to have it with a couple of anchor accounts that likely you um, innovated with them. And so they were fully supportive of, of, of giving it the full go because, uh, um, it, you're going to spend a lot of money on that um, when the other option is likely preserving that cash, uh, and giving yourself longer runway, um, uh, you know, in your current investor timeline to to consider and a couple of more strat planning sessions around that to weigh it. But uh, if you had if you had Costco and come and say, hey, we wanted to sell a uh, Love Good Fats ice cream, uh, I, I would say that could be a driver. But uh, I would just caution um, developing a new product, developing a new category, and then and then having to go and you know, full launch it because in COVID it's, you know, it's tough. The merchandising and, and category reviews and the cost uh, are, are, are harder than they were. Um, that's great. Thank you both. You're welcome. That's, uh, that's, that's actually really um, sound advice too, Mike. I mean, I think there's two ways to go there. And it's, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting fork in the road as you consider it. Andrew, welcome. Hey, how are you guys? Good. This is a district uh, ventures accelerator alumni. <laughs> yes, I'm uh, keeping the flow going. Arlene, uh, it's good to uh, get another chance to chat with you. I, I'm usually uh, bugging you about questions for for Flourish, but this is more of uh, an industry question, <clears throat> and just for all the other founders in the room that are looking into starting a business, or maybe they have something uh, that they want to reach out to district ventures for. Uh, and Mike, I'd love to get your opinion as well. But since Arlene, you see so many uh, deals in the space, what are you noticing right now is uh, one of the biggest trends in CPG? And uh, what are you guys uh, focused on for the year ahead? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can't understate the the biggest trend is in the you know alternative protein space, um, I, I think, by far. Um, you know, it's certainly functional, functional food meeting, you know, so functional meeting, you know, flavor, I think is also um, an evolving area where we don't have to think about, you know, the fact that it's very functional does ergo that means it doesn't taste good. So people are finding ways to um, imp- improve the product of it. And then companies that are ingredient companies moving into product companies, this is um, more and more and more. Um, we're seeing that. So ingredient manufacturers determining how they can actually move into the manufacturing of the actual product that they want to serve. So those three areas uh, we're seeing a lot of. Yeah, I would, um, I'm in total alignment there. And I've been, I'm obviously bullish on manufacturing and being uh, uh, vertically integrated. Uh, That's how we built the success at Manitoba Harvest. Um, But I think it's more it's becoming more, even more critical because consumers want that. They want to understand the source uh, and 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 really where where the product supply chain comes from. So you have some of the uh, some of the folks that have that back end. They have the egg base, so they're selling ingredients, and now and now they can launch a consumer brand, which which is exactly what we did at uh, at Ohm Mushrooms, uh, growing functional mushrooms and, and selling it as ingredient first, but then launching a brand, and, and that's really. Uh, taken off. So uh, my favorite three things still are uh, are hemp, uh, uh, munch- mushrooms, all all you know from food to functional functional mushrooms and so on, and and then uh, and as Arlene mentioned there, you know plant protein, uh, uh, dairy, more plant pre- more plant protein, dairy, and and meat alternatives are on the rise. I appreciate it. I'll keep working on uh, the plant based formulas. Thank you so much, guys. That's smart. Yeah, you're welcome, Jolene. Nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you guys. Um, I kind of missed some familiar faces over this weekend. I know it was a holiday, but I feel like a sponge and I'm, I feel like I can't learn enough right now. And I was missing some some familiar rooms that usually happen over the weekend. So I'm really happy to see you both. Um, Mike, I had my hemp smoothie today. So um, with Manitoba, of course. Um, I have a question for you both. Um, as you both know, I think you're familiar with what I'm working on. And um I'm, uh, as I finish, as I work to finish my uh, first raise round, I was wondering, um, I've getting, I'm getting varying degrees of advice on, you know, um, having advisors and then, um, you know, and I feel like I don't know if, if someone's going to look at that favorably or is there, 
I mean, I feel like obviously there's only so many ways to cut the pie, right? So how many advisors would you say would be appropriate or would be like a turnoff for you guys if you were investing in a company? So these are things that I, um, I want to make sure when I'm doing these things and I'm making these decisions and I'm finding the right people and the right fit and I'm, um, you know, considering all of these things that I don't do something that would be a turnoff to someone coming in. So I, I would appreciate any advice that you might have on that. So thank you for having me up. Um, Jolene, you, you again um, exemplify an entrepreneur who, who listens and, and is like a sponge. And I, and I love that you are so engaged in the community by, and asking the right questions. I, I would say that, listen, I'm, I'm always thrilled if a business at your stage has a group of advisors that they lean on. I, I think that is a signal that you um, understand the importance of having the right mentorship around you. The, I, I would say that, you know, having 10 would be too many, but if you had, you know, three to five advisors that you wanted to put onto an advisory board to have around you, I would see that as, a, as an investor as a positive. Um, I would be cautious on how you compensated them. I would be cautious in terms of, you know, any, I certainly wouldn't be giving equity to advisors like that, but, you know, most people like Mike and myself, there are people out there who will give back simply because they want to give back. They're not looking for anything. So, you know, find the right mentor, find the right advisors. And, and to, as a VC, I would say that's a positive, not a negative. Yeah, I think I'm in alignment there. I, I just, uh, um, yeah, I think about advisors of what they're bringing to you, uh, Jolene. And um, the difference for me really between an advisor and a board member um, you know, not really much, just not the fiduciary responsibility that a board director would, would have. And so, um, you know, how I built success was surrounding my, myself with a, uh, with a sales expert, uh, a marketing expert, uh, an operations, uh, expert and a finance expert that could, that could help me out, uh, um, in, in each one of those disciplines. And, um, and, and if you build a board or you're, or, or you're moving into a, um, uh, an institutional raise or, or a shareholder raise, um, and you're going to build that board, you want that strength around the boardroom table, uh, whether they are um, board directors or, or, or advisors to you and advisors to the board. Thank you very much. That's very helpful. The number that Arlene, uh, that you just gave me and the speci- specificity, Mike, that you just um, um, went through, I got it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, Mike, welcome. Uh, you got the party hat on, so we know you're you're new to Clubhouse. But uh, um, thanks for coming. Thanks, thanks for hosting this. I, I'm new. I was looking for the mute button, and I kept, oh wow, I'm gonna miss it. Where is it? And I finally found it on the bottom right. Um, thank you guys. This is absolutely amazing to be uh, a part of this. Um, Arlene, I I pitched to you guys on Dragons Den a couple of seasons ago, um, and one of the pieces of advice I think I was a little bit early. Um, one piece of advice that you gave us, we were launching with um, seven SKUs across the board, and, and we still have those seven SKUs. And your advice was, you know, focus on one. Don't try to build seven. And I think I know now why you said that. It's very expensive to build with seven. But we're at a point now where across Canada, uh, we've gotten ourselves into 200 doors, and we're getting into big national grocers now. And they're all super excited about our product. Um, we're, we've done a lot of presentations and we're waiting for answers to come back. They've put us in some test stores with all seven SKUs. And um, the, the feedback has been great, but it's going to get expensive when we go to list with the listing fees and stuff. So I guess the question is, two-part question, do you do we take your advice and, and scale back, but we're already on shelf with a lot of these SKUs, so to me, it doesn't make sense to take them off. So do we scale back or do we try to raise some seed capital um, and fulfill these and continue to grow with the seven SKUs? Um, Mike, I'm pleased to see that you're doing well. So congrats on the success that you've had to date from the show and, you know, getting into a couple hundred doors. That's that's great. Um, it's, a, it's a start. I think... Listen, it, it it's hard to say without understanding you know, your revenue numbers and, you know, what kind of, is it an 80, 20, 80% of your revenue is coming from your top two SKUs and, you know, you've got these other five that aren't doing anything or how does that play out? So I think you have to really look at revenue against the SKUs, what your uptake is by the consumers in the 200, what your velocity is on all seven of those SKUs. It's, it is... Um, 
it's nice that you've got a line and are they all in the same place? Are they all in the, are they all frozen? Are, is it frozen? Or is it yeah, they're all, yeah, they're all frozen. So they're all in the same place. Most of, <laughs> mostly the same category, same buyers. Yeah. So, well, it, as soon as you say mostly the same category and the same buyers, then I would, then that's where I kind of pause and go, maybe just focus on, you know, having things that are beside themselves on the shelf. So you have a couple skews, a couple of flavors, you know, th three or four would be great. Um, you know, less than that. I don't know if I said one, I don't, that would have been a dumb thing for me to say. So I'm sorry if I told you to just have one skew, but you know, I'd say having three or four skews um, and focusing in, in one area is a great way to begin and then grow it from there. But you can't boil the ocean. You're a startup. You can't be all things to all people. You can't be in every area of the store. You can't build your brand that way. You just don't have the traction. It's going to be very expensive for you. So I would, I would narrow it and focus um, for sure. I hope that's helpful. Yep. Um, and I would just add on there, Mike, I think the same, you know, it, you, it's, cause it's not only your own resources, but you're competing with uh, competitors in, in those three different categories. And, uh, and if they're focused on one category, they're going to, they're going to have a um, easier time of competing you. Uh, I actually, I've bought your product. Uh, I bought the pizza at, uh, at Vita Health in, in Winnipeg. Uh, I thought it was a good product. I thought it was innovative that you have like the cooking, uh, tray kind of built into, uh, in, into the box and, uh, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen the other products, but um, um, if, if and Arlene mentioned it there, if, if you have data that shows what's winning and, and if there's a differentiation there, it's not a bad thing. Uh, I don't know if you caught the earlier part of the conversation, but, you know, we uh, the best thing I ever did in our business was to discontinue our hemp seed butter and put lot less focus on our hemp protein powder and our oils to to, to really put all that effort into into hemp hearts. It's really about going an, an inch wide and a mile deep, uh, not only with the amount of retailers, but with the amount of SKUs and, and, and your focus, um, because then you're going to be able to win the, uh, not only the retailer over, but the hearts and the minds of consumers. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think if, if, if the pizza is the winner, uh, maybe just think about focusing on the pizza. Okay. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Sujala? Did I get that right? Yes, you got it right, Mike. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi, Arlene. Um, thank you for hosting this room. Um, my company is Rainfed Foods. We are a startup based in Toronto, Canada. We are launching a plant-based dairy alternative. I know a few minutes ago you both agreed that alternative proteins are a trending uh, category in the food space. So we're launching a plant-based milk that has unparalleled taste, quality, and nutrition compared to dairy um, using underexplored, underutilized crops uh, that are considered uh, climate resilient and very sustainable. So we're launching in fall. Uh, so my question is twofold. In particularly in Canada, uh, there was food, or there used to be Food Starter, which shut down a few years ago, and Arlene. I know you've turned that into a uh, DBK, which is amazing, but we have so much potential in terms of what we grow here in Canada in the agricultural landscape. But I find that support in terms of encouraging the innovation ecosystem uh, for startups, particularly early stage startups, is very, 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 uh, very hard to find. And I know that uh, there is Eva Ventures that started in Toronto recently. As uh, Subi is on the call here, and uh, he's got a great team. Uh, so I see a few people who who want to promote uh, Canadian startups or support Canadian startups, promote innovation. But I don't necessarily see that stemming from the government, whether it's support or funding. And even if there is any funding that exists, it's really hard to get. So my question or maybe an ask is, uh, you both are uh, have been in this space for a really long time. Is there something you could do? And uh, number two, uh, how would you encourage someone who is in the early stages to to gather support. Obviously, I understand uh, some organizations that exist, including university-based incubators uh, or organizations like Protein Industries Canada or some uh, food-related kitchen spaces. Uh, I'm, I'm a food scientist, so I have been working in the industry for over 15 years. So I, for example, I think I have a good uh, confidence in saying that I know where to go seek for support, but I see so many other entrepreneurs who are really struggling to get that initial support when their product is either not on the market or it, it, when they're just starting to grow. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I have a quest in life, it's to solve the the problems that you're talking about. Um, and and I and I, it, it's. Listen, I, I, I'll say a couple things because we've had some, we've had a lot of people who have either, you know, been on Dragon's Den or been through the kitchen or the accelerator or, you know, we funded, but there's also people on, you know, in the room that haven't gone through any of that and aren't aware of, of what we're doing and, and aren't aware of all the support that's out there. There's also, there's always the challenge, the challenge with very, very early stage startup companies in this space is that you have to be a specific type of entrepreneur who's willing to kind of take the, the lessons and take the instructions and build your business. And, 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 and generally the accelerators you mentioned, the university ones and some of the, you know, pick and, and some of the, uh, the protein industries, uh, Canada, as you said, and, and some of the super clusters, they, they are targeted at a, they're not targeted to you. They're not targeted to support you. They're targeted to support a different level of entrepreneur. It's a huge problem. And so, you know, we're trying to do our part with the organizations that we've stood up and, and the business that we're trying to support and the type of entrepreneur across the whole continuum of growth. But it's not enough. We need organizations across the country to do that. So, listen, I, I, I would say advocate and talk to as many people as you can and get together um, as entrepreneurs and figure out how you can, you know, work to have a voice in the marketplace together. But I, I can't really give you the magic bullet because there isn't one. This is, this is going to take years of work. This is going to take a concentrated effort by venture capitalists, private equity firms, um, financial institutions, angel investors, um, the whole gamut of capital has got to be behind this. And then there has to be a whole push to say that agriculture and agri-food is important. Now, I know that some of the government-backed financial institutions are going to be focusing um, in agri-food and that there is a growing awareness of the need. I still don't know whether that's going to reach down deep enough to help early stage companies to the level they need to be supported. So um, I'm not giving you a real answer other than to say, I feel your pain. I'm doing everything I can to help in that pain. And I believe that there is a real need in Canada to, to support you. I, yeah, I understand. I wasn't thinking that you could give me a magic bullet answer, but uh, with both of you having powerful positions in this uh, category in Canada, uh, yeah, I would appreciate if you could bring forth uh, that concern uh, when you're talking um, or when you're involved uh, at a higher level discussion in the industry. Trust me, um, <laughs> it is people are tired of hearing from me on it. So absolutely, you have my you have my commitment. I'm sure Mike's doing the same. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just uh, you know add there because you know it's it's um, uh, there, there are some other programs and, and whether and as Arlene mentioned, like PIC and, and some of those federal programs are, are, are for much larger uh, companies and and, uh, uh, and and those companies also need support so that they can uh, expand and create more jobs. I, I think for for uh, for for startups, um, you know provincial grants and uh but at the end of the day you know it, it, it's the entrepreneurs uh uh friends family and, and personal community is is going to be the place to to incubate the the idea and prove the concept uh, before you get to and uh, you know arlene's uh doing a a big part of it with the district ventures accelerator and 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 the district ventures kitchen now in canada uh but there's also uh, natural uh natural products canada that uh, that has some programming uh, the Canadian Health Food Association also has some programming uh, um, with uh, with their next program that uh, that happened earlier this spring and CHFA Connect, uh, and so we're trying to set up more of the the mentoring and, and incubation uh, uh, there as well. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it's 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 a it's a work in progress, uh, um, but but it's really. Uh, as a as a founder myself, know that it, 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 you're going to be best served if you if you're um, from the start, really, with a with a local community that's supporting you. Absolutely, hear you, Mike. Thank you. I'll I'll just add one last point, and then I'll be done. Uh, I hear you. At the same time, I feel like you know we're a country of uh, multi diverse people, uh, especially people like me who are first gen Canadians, immigrants 
there is no strong network of friends and family to, uh, or let alone with uh, higher financial uh, support or uh, to be able to back these ideas. So there is definitely a challenge there. But uh, yeah, no, thank you for hearing me out. Uh, and uh, I appreciate these uh, conversations weekly. Thank you. You're welcome. I just, uh, as you, as you leave, um, I just want to say, listen, I, I, first I'm an immigrant to Canada. We had no family here. We had nothing either. And you can do it. It is a, it is a tougher road, but don't give up and, uh, and you'll find the path and you're going to be part of the, the solution by doing that. So keep at it. Elizabeth, uh, welcome. Uh, do you have a, introduce yourself and do you have a question? Yes. Hello. Hello. I'm sorry. Uh, hi, Mike. Hi, Arlene. Um, I cannot believe that this is happening. Mike, um, I just wanted to say I came up into this room because uh, first and foremost, I'm from Quebec and had worked with Midday Squares on an early uh, kind of campaign in February. And so I was so happy to see that collaboration happen. Arlene, obviously, I've watched every episode of every season. And so Listen, I today I went back to work for the first time after nine months. I had my second son and it was uneventful. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm going to stay in the corporate world, but that's nor here or there. I grew up on a farm in southwestern Ontario. And uh, actually, my parents came to Canada in 83 um, from Eastern Europe and they were farmers. And so when they came to Canada, they really had no choice but to um, for my dad to go to work. They bought a farm. And my mom stayed on the farm and raised my brothers, and I have two brothers. Most of the majority of our lives, we've been um, subsisting on animals that my parents have raised, eggs from chickens that they've always raised, uh, garden food. My mom pickled. My mom uh, fermented things. She did a lot of work uh, making sure that we were prepared for the winter. And so my question is, Understanding uh, just everything going on with the environment and uh, the the trend of um, moving uh, more within and, you know, not eating out as much and taking more, um, you know, caution when we are being, you know, mindful consumers. And so my question is, I have the opportunity to convert my parents' 60-acre farm into a farm to table concept um i don't know if you're familiar with dan barber um mike um bluestone barns up in new york state or i should say down in new york state um i read dan barber's book and it changed my life and so basically i have the ability to somewhat bootstrap um a business um preparing ready-made food packaged um all from products derived from the farm and through partnerships and alliances with farmers throughout the southwestern um, area, southwestern Ontario region, and then obviously branching out here in Quebec as we have a family farm here as well. And a friend of mine just bought a farm in Sudbury. So that is our concept. This is not anything that I've put on paper just yet. But for me, I just want to know what is my next step in terms of um, finalizing a business plan and who can help me do that? I'm Elizabeth and I'm done speaking. Well, um, you sound passionate about it, Elizabeth. And uh, when you said your corporate job and you weren't sure, you didn't sound passionate about it. So I'm, I'm a big believer in chasing your passion, um, which is a good start. Uh, I think from there, really at the at the ideation stage, there's uh, you know there's there's um, business startup uh, uh, incubators um, that that are probably the place to to go to 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 work a plan and see if it's feasible. Um, and because you, you you don't want to put all your passion in it and uh, and not have it planned right if you do uh, do proceed, but uh, um, you know you have a job and, uh, and stay in your job and, and work this side hustle, uh, until it, uh, until the vision's clear enough. Um, but if it, if it, if it has wings, it'll, it'll, it'll fly. Um, but a lot of that will be, will be, uh, will be fueled by your own passion, I think. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly, um, jump in. I might, this would be my, probably the only time I would not, not, not as much just agree with what Mike said. I, you know, the side hustle thing, um, 
I, I think if you really want to do something, you need to take the risk to go and do it, but make sure you're taking a measured risk. So, you know, do your homework, build your plan, and then jump into it. Because I, I don't think you can really, I, I don't think you're doing anybody a, um, a service by trying to do both, but you have to be prepared for what that means. It's, it's a risk. It takes money. It takes effort. You're going to be eating a lot of products that you probably would never want to eat because you can't afford to anything else. Maybe who knows? But um, just I, I think jump in, but make sure that you've done their homework first and built a plan around it. So the, the, I don't think either one of those things are wrong or right. They're just different ways at the same thing. Which is, you do you want to build your dream or don't you want to build your dream? And if you do, then go build your dream. Love it. Thank you, thank yeah. you. But Mike, just if if there's a specific incubator or and starter that you suggest or recommend that would I, I I don't know of one but usually you know there'll be a business service center um, in the city that's closest to you that'll have some of those startup resources to have the form of kind of business plan and 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 things to work out and, and if you're a uh, if you're a female founder you, you, there's probably some grants that could go along with that uh, uh, so I, I'd search uh, I'd search a directory or, or, or go down to, uh, to to your local city center. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, also, Mike, before we bring up Tim, if you don't mind, I'm just yeah. going to tell everybody that's listening. Um, we have a CPG Founders Helping Founders Room at 6 p.m. Pacific on Thursday. So if you didn't get your question answered today, please join us, and there'll be a, a bunch of great moderators who will have um, lots to offer in the CPG space. Hey, Tim. Uh, hi, good evening, um, Mike. It's great to connect. And uh, as always, Arlene as well. Um, really enjoyed uh, the, the conversation tonight. Um, just a very quick introduction. Um, I lead the team at Sapsucker. Uh, we're an organic sparkling tree water. Uh, very recently uh, came in uh, through the VC uh, arm of District Ventures. So uh, Arlene, thank you again. Uh, we are grateful and excited to uh, to build um, uh, you know a winning growth plan um, together. And so my question is uh, along those lines. Um, I'm actually uh, have made uh, the shift from a tier one CPG company um, into a more entrepreneurial role, and um, we're actually in the midst of uh, business planning right now. Uh, we're using uh, the OKR format. And uh, my question is just, you know, in this environment where, you know, it is so unpredictable, um, any advice on sort of building the right, you know, long range and short, short range business plan um, and just being really agile and nimble and uh, just interested in um, any advice for a company like ours that has a lot of ambition uh, to expand uh, internationally into the U.S. Uh, later this year, early next year, and and just how do you, um, you know, how how do you build a really you know good dynamic plan in 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 this type of environment? So curious to hear your thoughts. I love business planning, so I, I could start, Arlene, if you uh, if you want on that, or if that's questions for me. But uh, yeah. you know, yeah, Tim, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in in multi scenario planning, and I, I have been for a long time. I, I've been trained in the um, OGSM model, but the OKR, um, you know, format for business planning. But when it comes to the to the budget, because it's really all about the numbers uh, uh, and then the execution of the numbers, um, I, I like uh, I like at minimum uh, three different scenarios. And so whether you do that as a as a goal, a stretch goal, and a super stretch goal, um, or a, a low, medium, high uh, probability. Um, it, 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 besides um, being prepared for any one of those three scenarios, um, if if it's even better or worse than those scenarios, you, you'll have enough um, you'll have enough stakes in the ground to know, um, uh, to, you know how, how much you need to pivot to, off of that. So that's uh, that's what I would offer to you. Yeah, that, that, thanks, that's, Mike. Yeah, that's and, that's good advice, and, Mike. And, I, and I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to have a 30 minute strategy chat with you uh, if you want because uh, I've just actually like two weeks ago tried your product and uh, and it's in the house and uh, so i'm happy to uh, to walk through that with you over a call if you want um I, i'd love that mike i'd love that thank you and yeah uh, i'm gl glad you enjoy our product <laughs> 
Yeah, we we love your product too, Tim. Obviously, <laughs> so we're, we're we're big fans, and and I hear nothing but that uh, back from people who try it, which is wonderful. So you've got a great place to start from. I mean, if Mike's prepared to give you some of his time, that's a huge um, huge offer from him. And I, I also saw in the audience uh, Greg Fleischman, who um, has a ton of um, expertise that you would should tap into. Um, I'm volunteering Greg for you on your behalf, Greg, and. He'll uh, he can he'll thank me later. But Tim, I'd reach out to him, follow him, and uh, and take Mike's advice. And and then you know don't don't forget you know talk to Jason. Jason certainly has a ton of expertise and experience in this area, thinking about strategy and building different plans out. And we're here to help, and we'll continue to do so. So good luck, and we're we're excited and rooting for you and in your corner. Thanks, Arlene. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks uh, to both of you tonight. Yeah, just drop me a line on uh, uh, on LinkedIn. Tim. I'll do that tomorrow. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, Arlene, we were uh, we were very close to uh, to the hard cutoff and value everyone's time, but what a uh, what a wonderful chat! Um, so thank you so much for uh, for taking the time. Um, I've already had some pinging of DMs saying from people of how much they enjoyed uh, enjoyed the presentation and getting to know you a little bit, uh, and then and then also the uh, the Q and A. So. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I value your time and, uh, and thank you. And thanks for everyone for, for coming. Have yourself a good uh, rest of your evening. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Good night, everybody. And thanks for, for enjoying and uh, being part of the room. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fada. That's it for now. See you next time.